Hello everybody, thank you very much for downloading this episode of the Cinema Catch-Up Club. For more information, you can visit the Cinema Catch-Up Club's official Facebook page. Just search for the Cinema Catch-Up Club. Or you can visit our website, thoughtjarproductions.com. This podcast is available on iTunes and SoundCloud, and we would really appreciate your subscriptions there, so pick your service of choice. For more information about this and other podcasts we produce, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com. And now, for this week's episode. Hello everyone, and welcome to the Cinema Catch-Up Club. I'm your host, Stephen Platt. Thank you very much for downloading this week's episode. This week, we are reviewing... Casablanca. That's right, it's one of the biggies, and it's turning 75 years old. Uh, Joining me with that chorus for Casablanca, we have two guests, as always, someone who has seen the film, and someone who has not. Our guest who has not seen the film, because I can remember who has and hasn't seen these things, um, is Katrina Johnson. Welcome back, Katrina. Thanks for having me back, Stephen. That's okay. And uh, just a reminder for the folks at home, who are you and what do you do? Uh, I'm a lighting student at WAPA. I'm just about to finish my first year there. Um, I, I'm a cancer. I'm not not in the sense of... I, I'm talking star science <laughs> yeah. in the sense of disease. Yeah, I, um, I, I do always find that's really unfortunate. Yes. Because all yes, the others, it it's very obvious. If I say I'm a Scorpio, people go, oh, yeah, yeah, it's a star yeah, sign. Yeah. Yeah. Cancer I'm a cancer. Yeah. yeah, is very unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, what else? What else am I? I'm, do you like yeah. long walks along the beach? I do sometimes, mm. if it's not too windy. Mm. Mm. And how, how are things at Whopper? Things are going very well. We're, we've just opened uh, one of the last, the, the major production for the dance students at Whopper. Um, and yeah, I'm part of that and it's really good. And if you want to go see it, I would, oh, this will come out after it's finished. But yeah, it's if, awesome. Go, go see, see Whopper shows. Go see Whopper shows. Go see, go see theatre. Mm. It's awesome. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. And of course, uh, you, you know, obviously, I'm sure you, you've, you've been bumping into Hugh Jackman in the corridors and all that usual stuff, given Whopper's... Yes, uh, because he totally just lives at Whopper, not at LA. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that, that's how it works. You know, all these great uh, actors who've graduated from these things, they come uh, back. Not not quite, but I have, you know, it, it is interesting to see some of the actors uh, and some of the performers going, yeah, you're going to make it big. Mm. Um, yeah, I was involved in the showcase for the third year, musical theatre students and the acting students, and just looking at some of them, I'm like, yep, give it a couple of years and we'll see them on the big screen doing amazing things. Lovely. And, yeah. and then we, you can review them on here. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> and you can maybe. say, oh, I knew this person when they were in their second year and oh, they had bad breath or whatever it was. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't interact too much with the performers because mm. they do keep to themselves. Mm. A lot. Um, They're a special breed. They are. Mm. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Yes. And joining Katrina and myself uh, to watch Casablanca, we have Sarah Curtis. <laughs> are you uh, Dr. Sarah Curtis yet? Not yet. Okay. Still not yet. Getting closer, though. Every time I'm just as close as I was before, I swear. Excellent. <laughs> um, so, Sarah, you're, you're a PhD student at Murdoch University. And That's correct. And you have seen Casablanca. I have, a very long time ago. Uh, what are your memories of this film? Um, darkness and despair. 
Um, well, I mean, it was set during the Second World War. Yes, there is that. <laughs> and was filmed during the Second World War. You know, they, they didn't know how it was going to end. So um, <laughs> I, I suppose it could be quite dark. Yeah, I remember being sad. Um, I was a, a little first year uni student at the time because this was a film that we watched as part of the screen and sound degree, which mm-hmm. I totally did for a year mm-hmm. before wising up and doing drama. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I just remember... Um, darkness and a, a cafe or was it a bar or something i don't know there was a lot of scenes in a bar mm. or something like that you've pretty much summed up casablanca there's a lot of scenes in a bar um okay speci- the bar is high yeah specifically rick's bar that's terrible <laughs> that was terrible thank you i've been around Stephen way too long yes i can see indeed uh, so katrina aside from the fact that there is a bar uh mm. what do you know about the film casablanca um, i know a little bit um I like I, I I know the the famous line, uh, you know, play it again, Sam. And actually, a isn't it of, play it, Sam? Well, I I know that it's misquoted a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, you just misquoted. The, yeah. You just quoted the misquote. It was yes, good. yes, I probably did. And I know it has a song in it, um, the, which which is I think the song that Sam plays, which is connected to, which is the theme title of a show that I used to watch with my dad. Oh, okay, like when I was a kid. Which was as time goes by, because he's a really big Jeffrey Palmer and Judy Dench fan. Right. Yeah. Oh, lovely. So that's a weird, weird connection. Um, I know how it ends. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think, because it's just part of like cultural zeitgeist and things yeah. like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Casab- Casablanca is uh, is a film that I'm really looking forward to watching again. Mm. It's been probably about a decade for me, um, but. Ever since we decided that we were going to do this film, um, obviously doing some research uh, on the film, but it is it is really interesting how frequently Casablanca pops up mm. in uh, discussions, the way it's referenced, the way yeah. that sometimes TV shows will do an entire episode, which is essentially a Casablanca episode. Mm. Um, so I'm very much looking forward to watching it. So... Uh, Shall we jump into it? Yes, let's. Soup's excited. All right, everyone. So make sure that you uh, pop your DVDs in and gather up your transit papers as we prepare to watch (laughs) Casablanca. podcasts on all the websites in all the world you had to download mine hello everyone welcome back to our review of casablanca i'm joined once again by uh, katrina hello and sarah what's up and that wasn't humphrey bogart that that excellent impression may have <laughs> may have surprised you <laughs> uh, it's me Stephen. we've just finished watching casablanca um what, what do we think guys i really liked it you did yes i did oh. i really liked it um as I said just just a moment ago, I was worried. Ha- having been doing a show for the past two weeks, I was a bit worried I was going to fall asleep. But you know, it kept me engaged. I really liked the script. I would now really want to go read the actual theatre script and mm. see if, how much is different and all this kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I just really enjoyed it. Wonderful, yeah. I mean, um, Sarah, I mean, obviously you've seen it before. Yeah, but it was a long time ago, so, mm. like, while well, I remembered it, it was a lot funnier than I remembered. Really? Yeah, yeah I was quite surprised by that. Mm. Um, yeah, I was quite surprised by how many of the different characters, and 
to be fair, most of the background characters were quite comedic. Mm. Mm. And they were good background characters. Yeah. You're like, oh, yeah, that guy. He did the thing. He stole the stuff again. Go you, oh, pickpocket uh, the, guy. The pickpocket. Yeah. 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 Played by uh, Kurt Bois or Boys, uh, depending on how you want to pronounce that. Dad yeah. Boys. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, he, he was great. I, I actually completely forgot about him as a character until he popped up in that in that first scene where the arrests yeah. are happening i'm like oh the pickpocket yeah there, there's lots of really great incidental characters i like that he's not one of the usual suspects like they go and get the usual suspects and then he's just like chilling like stealing pickpocketing yeah he's, he's just a pickpocket I, I think i think from what i gathered from him he's probably actually a local like he was probably mm. born in casablanca mm. maybe he's judging from the actor that they've chosen i'd say the character is supposed to, you know, have one parent who's actually from that region and not French and mm. things like that. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's an interesting setting. Obviously, uh, this this film was made in 1942. Um, it was made just as the Americans got into the Second World War. In fact, one of the reasons that this script was picked up was because of Pearl Harbor. Uh, yeah. Suddenly, all the film studios were like, we need to find some more movies to make because we're going all in on this war. Um and so, yeah, this this film was produced, and it is it is really interesting watching it. Obviously, we're watching it almost uh, three quarters of a century later, knowing yeah. exactly what happened. But thinking at the time that obviously the people who were making this film had no idea. You know, no. they were making it in 1942, which is, mm. uh, you know, arguably when the war started to turn. But they, they wouldn't have known I what was going to happen. I think it's generally agreed. 1943 mm-hmm. was when it was starting to turn. 1942 was, it was still was not going very well. Um, True, but you particularly, had... Yeah. Particularly in Africa. That's a good point, actually, yes. But yeah, this is when you had, obviously, the Americans that had, had yeah. just come into the war, which is obviously a massive um, uh, detrimental issue to, to the German effort. And it's also... 42 is when they started their campaign against the Russians as well, uh, uh, the, the Nazis. Yes, yes, it was. Um, but it still took quite some time yeah. for it to be very clear. Which, which is what makes it around. really interesting watching yeah. it going, no, like, you know, you've got Victor Laszlo being, saying very yeah. confidently, you know, ah, yes, well, you know, well, we're going we're to win, win the war. Yeah. And it's like, you don't know that. <laughs> you honestly don't know that. It, it was, it was really, really fascinating. I loved the spinning globe at the beginning. Uh, the, the globe model that, yeah, um, it made us laugh a lot. It, it did. It yeah. was, but it, it was really a, a nice introduction, I guess, to this sort of... Very much in that style of, you know, world at war. Well, I was just thinking, um, when you were discussing how the, when the film came out, because America was sort of getting more involved with the war, I find it interesting that politically, back then, that was okay. That the government and, you know, America in general could be like, Hollywood, we're going to make some oh, more war films. It was... And these days, if the government, if the American government got involved with Hollywood, they'd be laughed out of the white house except they still are they still are they still are massively involved they are they are still involved however these days like in the last 10 years or so especially um like uh towards the end of the bush government they were pushing for sort of more propaganda films and a lot of people got really offended and um hollywood laughed at them and then took the bribe anyway but you know they were, it was a lot more public what they were doing a lot more mm. sort of insidious i guess it's pr- probably because um Partly because of the times, um, yeah, government government influence in into Hollywood, particularly because still at that point, you know, it had only been around for forty years, so mm. it's still a reasonably young industry. Um, they had the ability; it was a bit more accepted, and I think also people probably weren't quite as aware. 
Mm. Um, that being said, you at the same time, you've got the USO, Hollywood Canteen. Mm. Like, Hollywood went in, like... With the war effort. Yeah, went, went in with the war mm. effort. It actually made me think also this film reminded me of a film that I haven't seen, but I've heard about. Um, I think it's called... Uh, oh, oh, that's right. The Dictator, Charlie Chaplin. Mm. Oh, The Great Dictator. Yes. The Great Dictator. Yes, that, yes which yeah. was quite astounding because that was made even before the Americans entered the war. Mm. And it's, it's completely sending up Hitler. Yeah, it's, it's Charlie Chaplin. I mean, he had the yeah. same moustache, so the casting was easy. Um, but <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it's him essentially doing... Uh, it, it, it be, to be honest, it's to make a modern-day comparison... It's a bit like uh, the interview where they had yes. um, the, the film with Seth Rogen and James Franco going to North Korea to interview um, Kim Jong Kim Jong Un, and that caused obviously a big uh, a big political uh, hoo ha between uh, North Korea and America. This was mm. pre uh, President Trump, uh, so you know this was <laughs> wasn't everything. Yeah, um, but yeah, this this was 2015, and yeah, mm. it, it is interesting when these things pop up. What 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 it is that. I, the, I suppose strikes a chord with I audiences. I think the only difference is Charlie Chaplin was very aware of what he was doing. Mm. Um, I think at that point, you they were already when he was making it, they were already getting stories of what was happening to the Jewish populations and all the other mini- minority populations. Mm. And I, as far as I understand, he made a very specific choice to do that. Say, this is my part that I can do. Um, whereas Seth. Who was it? Seth Rogen. Seth Rogen. Yeah. Uh, those two. I would doubt if they had that much political acumen. Well, I mean, not, not to, not to you know, call them names or throw anything around, but maybe it just had more of an unintended uh, effect than, than they anticipated, I guess. From what I um, know of them, which to be fair is not much, I think it's more, they're like, this is a political character who is funny. Let's mm. make fun of him. I think it was more along the vein of... Mm. Um, what's that puppet one? Oh, uh, Team America. Yes. Yeah, where yes. where they t- took the mick out of Kim Jong Il. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think. Not as well informed. Yeah, mm. it's not nowhere near as well informed. It's been about five minutes since we spoke about Casablanca. <laughs> yeah, Should we? Maybe, sure. I just realized yeah. politics we, yeah. are great. Yeah, we're we're having a lovely chat, but we're uh, we're going a, a little way away from um, from the reason we're here. <laughs> uh, so the obviously we see the start of the film. We see uh, mm. the usual suspects, the undesirables, being rounded up, uh, and then we see uh, Rick's bar. Um, which uh, is is sort of the local cafe l- l- American. Yeah, the, yeah, Rick's yeah, uh, yeah, Rick's bu- cafe. Rick's, Rick's cafe American. American. Yeah, and um, ob- this is a meeting point for anyone who's anyone in mm. in Casablanca. Um, we see the arrival of uh, the uh, Third Reich officer um, uh, Strauss. Uh, he he uh, turns oh, Strasser, sorry, Major Strasser. Mm. Uh, turns up, uh, he meets with uh, Captain uh, Renault, played by Claude Rains, um, and says, ah, oh, yes, no, we'll go to this bar. It's run by uh, a true neutral, this American guy named Rick Blaine, and we are introduced to Rick Blaine, sat by a chessboard, smoking with his alcohol, played by Humphrey Bogart. Um, arguably, you'd say probably one of the the most iconic cinematic characters you'd probably say you could show He'd definitely be yeah. up there he's definitely yeah yeah you could yeah. show most could... people just a picture of humphrey bogart sat there and people would go oh yeah that's the Casablanca guy i think guy. you could show pictures of just his hat <laughs> and people would get it yeah and yeah obviously he sat there he's he's running this bar he's um 
he's he's very bitter mm. <laughs> because of, of things that happened previously in his life. Uh, well, because they got Humphrey Bogart to play him. <laughs> uh, and he does such a good job of... Uh, it was a point you made, actually, Katrina, mm. as we were watching it. Like, he, he doesn't really do a lot in terms of facial movements, but you know exactly what he's thinking at yeah. every point in this film. Yeah, I, I think I made the comparison to Kirsten Stewart, who is often made fun of mm. for having no expression. Mm. Um, and I'm sure there are many, many other actors and actresses who could be blamed of the same. But I don't know what it is about him. You still you still get that display of character, that depth of emotion. And maybe it's just all of us going, oh, he's a big moody guy. So we're all reading things into it. But who cares? It works. Mm. And the start of the film, we're really just seeing what Rick's world like is like mm. in Casablanca. You know, he, he obviously, uh, th- this, this, this bar, Rick's place, is... Mm. Um, is his domain and it's where a lot of important things happen within Casablanca and we see throughout the course of the film the power he has like for example the power over the roulette table um you know he's able to help a young Bulgarian couple win enough money by rigging the roulette just so that they can get out get get out of uh, Casablanca and again I think it's interesting how much because we hear about those stories now you know obviously being 70 years out we're even getting new ones now um of how different officials helped people um, escape, whether it be... I mean, obviously, all the characters, I think, in this are political refugees. Yes. I, I don't think at that point the the problems for the Jewish population was as, as they were aware of it as much mm. or they were just ignoring it, depending who... who Depending mm. on who you talk to yeah. in, in history, um, you, you get different answers. But you start hearing all these different stories about people just like Rick um, who helped. Yeah, who and were in a position to help and did. Yes. That would have been a really hard position to come by as well. Just thinking about, we, get, we see him at the height of his power. Mm. How did he get there? Well, yeah, I mean, we heard that, you know, in 1935, you ran guns in Ethiopia. And in 36, you did this other thing. So, yeah, you know, he, went we, to, he went to Spain and fought the fascists. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, you know, we, we know that Rick has this uh, history, uh, a colourful history, which isn't really delved into too much like the fact that he can't go back to america yeah um, and they don't exactly why. say why um but we know he's a he's a character who's got a colorful past and now he's he's hit upon this this position of prominence in casablanca he is a, a an understanding with captain renault uh obviously captain renault is an extremely corrupt uh official and is just very blithe but and open so likable yeah he's yeah. so <laughs> likable but very very open about it like, you know the whole time like i said i think if Stephen, if you're a villain you would be him i would i would love to be uh, a <laughs> villain like captain renault because he ends up not being a villain really yeah. well there is that but also yeah, yeah he, he's very open he's very polite and affable and you know say yeah you know, oh i don't think you should do that and you know uh when when the young bulgarian couple are like excellent we've got the money oh brilliant yes come by my office tomorrow we'll be there at six i'll be there at ten you know <laughs> Just this is a very very funny script. It's yes. very well written. The actors all play their parts um, fantastically well. Obviously, like Rick Blaine is quite a funny character, despite the fact he's he's moody yeah. and he's grumpy and he's suffering from a major case of uh, what I think we'd phrase as man pain uh, <laughs> about being jilted by by this young lady. Um, but despite that, 
he he's a very funny character. He he is really great moments. He's sardonic. He's sardonic. The really, way he interacts yeah. with Sam, the way he interacts with Captain Renault, uh, the fact he is just so forward with uh, Major Strasser, who is mm. you know literally like um, Hitler's representative. Yeah, in and Casablanca. literally could say, "Okay, guys, take him out the back, shoot him." Yeah, we're sick of dealing with him. Yeah, but he 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 does. He, everyone bounces off each other really well in this yeah. film. And I, one one thing I really liked, uh, I don't know if you picked up on this, Sarah, is there was so much movement there was so much happening it felt like an aaron sorkin tv show that it was really made in the did. 40s there was some walking and talking going on there mm. i was like yeah yeah like sort of like west wing studio 60 style like a, a one character leaves the scene and is immediately replaced by another character who was an entirely different plot line but mm. it flows seamlessly as i part was of this actually show. having a lot of studio 60 flashbacks while watching this and mm. i'm just sitting there going i can't i'm glad that we're watching it together yeah. because yeah. like I'm glad that you made that connection too. I yeah. do I do enjoy when movies and TV shows and things like that do that, but it always takes me a good 20 minutes, I say, and to get into the flow of, okay, this is who I need to be focusing on. And that's mm. possibly because I have dodgy hearing. Mm. Um, but it's uh, it comes across so beautifully. And I think that's something that films of that era did a lot better than films of our era do. Mm. Um yeah. It, yeah, it's it was really really wonderful. Uh, so the 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 plot line I suppose for us kicks in when uh, uh, Ugart turns up, played by Peter Law, the wonderful Peter Law, who mm. is talking. Hey, Rick, I have these transit papers, <laughs> and it, and um, yeah, letters letters of transit, and he gives them to uh, to Rick and says, "Can you please keep them safe for me?" And then promptly gets arrested and uh, and killed. And, killed. Um, and so it's like he read the script. Yeah, I know. This would be useful later on. Yeah. So so Rick is in possession of these letters of transit, which are super valuable in mm. in Casablanca because it's essentially free passage to Lisbon and then on to uh, America. Multipass. Exactly. It's fantastic. And so he has these letters and he's like, well, I'm going to keep hold of them then. And then just as obviously he has these letters and he hides them in the piano so no one will find it, um, into his life returns uh, Elsa. Elsa, yes. Um, Il- Elsa Lund and uh, with with her husband, what? What? Victor Laszlo. Uh, and it's revealed Elsa and Rick uh, previously had a, had, a, had a relationship in Paris in 1940. Mm. Um, uh, what, what did we think of, of this? Because obviously it, it's Ingrid Bergman and Humphrey Bogart. They, you know, they have gone down as uh, arguably the iconic cinematic couple, uh, you know, certainly up there with, with lots of the others. Yeah. Mm. Um, but how, how was their relationship, I guess? How, how did it read for I, you? Both? I feel like both of them would have had chemistry with a chair, like mm. they both had chem- so much good chemistry, not just with each other, but with everyone around them. It's like, yeah, I shipped that. Yeah, yeah. I shipped that. It's like right at the end um, when the two guys are walking up with their, you know, start of a beautiful friendship. I'm like, yeah, I shipped that. <laughs> it's like the chemistry is just like sizzling off them both. But did their particular relationship, which obviously we, we, we see through flashback, we get to go back. We see them in Paris when they're clearly in love. Mm. Uh, we see um, Rick getting his heart broken by... Um, Ilsa not coming on the train uh, for reasons that would then later be explained uh, and then of course we, we see them in Casablanca and they're arguing with each other and they're not happy um, but w- w- was that an interesting relationship for you as a, as a viewer Sarah? Well for me I have read a lot of historical romances it's like my like dirty secret that mm. I enjoy historical mm. romances mm. to tell no one <laughs> Okay. Uh- <laughs> internet shh <laughs> 
the internet people will be my friends and they'll keep this safe for me. That's mm-hmm. this secret. Um, and a lot of those historical romances are set between World War One and World War Two. Um, so a lot of these stories that I've read, particularly from one author, are about these sorts of people who meet at the height of war. They have a couple of weeks with this intense romance where it's like their purest love. Then they're separated for years. And then when they finally re-meet, something has happened that keeps them apart. Hmm. Um, so it very much followed that same sort of formula. Um, so I, I quite enjoy the fact, though, that it doesn't go the way you expect. Mm. That they set it up to go, okay, yeah, he's going to eventually forgive her and they're going to run away together. Mm. And I would disagree and say that it's the way you expect because I found not that much interest in the relationship between uh, Rick and Elsa, but more the interest of how Rick developed. Yes. That you could see him slowly changing. And that's like just in the character of Rick, I'm like, that's why it's a propaganda film. Mm. Because this, this is pretty much taking Americans mm. on the journey of this is why we need to go to war. Yeah, I mean, Rick is representing the American policy of isolationism that yeah. was uh, mm. obviously had to be uh, deconstructed quite quickly mm. um, to go, no, we have to fight in the war effort, we have to get involved, yeah. or the Nazis are going to win. Um, and, and looking at it from a character standpoint, it, it's interesting that Rick clearly is someone who used to fight for causes mm. when they talk about his past in the th- in the 30s which i realize is only like six or seven years before this film but he's gone from being this almost this uh, troublesome freedom fighter yeah. to having his heart broken and just hiding in a hole in casablanca mm. and then throughout this film we see him realize that the fight is more important than his own personal happiness and to be honest this is a character this is a type of a character that americans of that time love and actually americans today Mm. still love Mm. i mean we i mentioned before we we started watching i was like this is only um a couple of years after gone with the wind was filmed Mm. and in that the character of red butler it's the exact same Uh, obviously with differences he's not as hurt and sardonic as as that but he's someone who's like nah i fight for myself Mm. and then he goes and fights for Mm. his lost cause yeah um Um, i would say another comparable character from uh, a bit later on would be someone like han solo from star wars Mm. you know it's like you know eventually ends up fighting as part of the rebel cause but was very much just in it for um no, I'm in what it was for it, me. 16,000 now and 2000 when we get to older run however like that, that one <laughs> but yeah um it is interesting that that character archetype um does pop up quite a lot in in these sorts of films it's um, the anti-hero yeah it's the and, and it's it's also the thing i found watching this film again it's a really fun film yeah. Um, I mean, we said about great, great cameo characters. Um, Sydney Greenstreet as uh, Signor Ferrari, you know, big, <laughs> big fat guy wearing a fez who's, I, Rick, I'd like to buy your bar, please. <laughs> like, I feel like he's very much cut from the same cloth as, um, oh, what's the other guy? What's the French guy? The main French guy? Oh, uh, Cap- Captain Renault. Yeah, yeah. Renault. Uh, I feel like he's very cut from the same cloth. Mm. As in, they're both very aware how corrupt, how how much both of them should be put in jail for X, Y, Z. But they're like, but we're not, so yeah. it's okay. Yeah. You know, this system works. This is what we're working with. Yeah. I just, yeah, really enjoyed his interactions because it, it sort of, it it made the world of Casablanca, this, mm. this world that was created within this film, seem much more 
um, alive than a lot of other film worlds of the time are presented. You know, Casablanca seemed like a genuinely fascinating place. Mm. Um, Even though we only really got tiny snippets of outdoor bits, like in the marketplace, um, with the guy trying to sell... um, uh, Ilsa, the, the, the shawl. Lace, yeah. yeah, the lace. And he's like, 700. Ah, friend of Rick's. New price 200. 200. Special uh, friend of Rick's, 100. Yeah, right. and um, yeah, and that was lovely. But the, the, the having these characters come in and, and just present this this whole world, this this miniature microcosm port city, which is, mm. it's controlled by the French, but the French are technically controlled by the Nazis. And, oh, this is this is interesting. Uh, and, uh, you know, all, all the uh, political machinations and the fact that there is underground resistant meetings, which, uh, yeah. you know, some of the, like, elderly uh, staff at Rick's Bar go to and yeah. things like that. It's just a really fascinating place. It's a place, like, when you know you're in a story, you'd want to be in because it's so interesting. And mm. you know because you're in a story that, you know, it's safe. But you also know that like really weird shit's gonna happen around you, mm. and it's just like this fascinating place of yeah. stuff going on. Mm. Um, so obviously, with Victor arriving, that that is uh, there's a, there's a lot of uh, plot that surrounds him uh, because obviously he he's a key movement, a uh, key member of the movement against the Nazis. Mm. He's trying to get to America where he's going to be safe and have political asylum. Uh, but unfortunately for him, Major Strauss is there going, now, listen, we are here to uh, make sure you don't leave Casablanca and then obviously try and get hold of him and uh, throw him back in a concentration camp. Um, The the thing with this character is most of the stuff you find out about him is from other people. Mm. Like, when you actually see him on screen doing his own thing, he's super bland, Mm. but everything about him is interesting. Like, I still care about him as a character. Mm. And later on when he does start sort of actually talking for himself and not being talked about, he gets more interesting. Mm. But, like, I mean, for, the first, for the first half of the film, you're like, okay, there's this guy that, I've, you know, things are happening too. I mm. think that's a, a technique that's possibly come from the fact that it's from a play. Mm. Um, because, you, you like, that opening sequence of being introduced to Rick's bar, for example, I was like, wow, yep, you can tell this has come straight out of a play because they're like, oh, we need to do this and we need to do this. It's like almost the scan across the room. Mm. And you would you could see that happening in a play, like a light would come up on this table and then a light would come up on this table. Mm. Or you could have just a general wash-up and you could yeah. have... Um, five or six different tables with action happening mm. simultaneously but then you know you break away for 10 seconds and we have yeah. dialogue from one table and then another yeah and this couple walks down to front and this and then they recede into the back and all yeah. those sorts of things um and that's yeah so the victor being talked about i think is probably a leftover from from it being a play mm. and i quite like it like yeah. i'm not i'm not saying it's a bad thing i quite enjoyed the way his character developed mm. and the way you as an audience see him mm. changes depending on the information you understand from other people mm. and it's also interesting seeing this character who um you know clearly um did, he clues in pretty quickly that there's something going on between his wife and rick yeah. or had happened previously yeah. and in a way, it was quite refreshing that that he didn't do the, the what jealous no. It was none of that. He was literally. I was in a concentration camp. I I kind of understand. Yeah. That this may have happened. Um. And you know, he doesn't even accuse her. He just asks her. And and mm. she and when she says no, he goes all right. Yeah. And it's it's quite lovely. Um. And you know, I think that really helps us as an audience get to respect this character, which we're supposed to respect because he's a freedom fighter. Yeah. Um. But it it's something that we don't 
often see when you've got a love triangle involving two guys and a girl. Particularly in that time. Yeah. Mm. Often it would be, well, I'm going to get, uh, we're going to have fisticuffs now. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm going to come out there and slap you to Tuesday or whatever it is. You know, it'll be, yeah. they'll, they'll, there'll be some conflict. There never was that. There was always this understanding between the three of them. Almost a gentleman's understanding. And that was something that I noticed as well. Like when Victor was talking to, um, the Germans and everything. Mm. It's thought they're all having a very nice conversation. And, oh, yes, hello, how are you? And, oh, oh, you want to put me in a concentration camp? Oh, mm. well, that's a pity you can't. <laughs> we'll we'll have to we'll have to meet like, tomorrow morning, Can you o'clock. imagine if this was rewritten for today's, like... F- There'd be so to- many chase scenes. There would be so many chase scenes. There would mm. be so much swearing. There would be... Um, th- there would just be a completely different feel to it. Like, this is a gentleman's... Mm. fight and a gentleman's club like when, yeah. the, when the two of them get together when rick and victor get together and it's like okay well i respect you that's great because i respect you and she loves both of us okay well let's figure out a way that we're all happy mm. Mm. it's interesting that you say that about if it was made today yeah uh one of my fun facts that i found from the imdb trivia troll uh was that in the 1980s uh the script of casablanca was sent um to readers at a number of major studios under the title Everybody comes to Rick's. So it was essentially the same script, yeah. but just with a different title. Some readers recognised the script and went, yeah. oh, that's just Casablanca. But a lot didn't. And many mm-hmm. complained that the script was not good enough to make a decent movie, too dated, too much dialogue, and not enough sex. I'm not surprised mm-hmm. by that, frankly. Um, I think how how information is purveyed is, is very dated. It is very 40s of that era you know those those long monologues um which you know if we saw it in a play it w- they wouldn't be long monologues mm. but on a film they're like wow this one person is talking a lot yeah yeah i mean like at the end of the film yeah. just to skip to the end where um rick is explaining to elsa why she has to get on the plane and he yeah. does the whole uh you know maybe the feelings of three people doesn't amount to a hill of beans and all mm. that it, it it's it is a monologue that he's yeah. performing but it's it, it's sort of it's it's accepted, I suppose, because uh, to quote Grandpa Simpson, it was the style at the time. You yeah. see, yeah, it's um, yeah, it, but it but it works. It, it, it it's a really, it's still really effective, and I think it's it's just such a lovely film. It is. It's, well, one thing that we all kept picking up on and commenting on was the lighting, the mm. way it was lit, and oh. the shadows were just so beautiful. Which yeah. is interesting because. Can I, can I be a lighting person? Be a lighting person. Please. Awesome. So, 1942. It was only in 1930, in the 1930s, that lighting is, theatre lighting at least, is starting to be codified. Stanley McCandless, who is considered like the, the grandfather of theatre lighting, who came up with the idea of setting, of, uh, sorry, of setting lights at a 45 degree angle up and out um, to give that even wash, um, He's he's still around. He's still working. Mm. The first lighting designer hasn't been credited in theatre yet by this point. And we're getting just such nuances and people working with the equipment, mm. um, which is still, you know, still being developed. And like I think people, designers today would have difficulty recreating that mm. um, with, with all of our increase of knowledge of, of how shadow works, of how light works, and of, and of our increase in technology. Um, and it's just, oh, it's, it's, a, it's a thing of beauty. It really is. I mean, obviously, 
uh, we, we commented um, how different Humphrey Bogart looked in the scenes in Casablanca yes. and then in the flashback where he looked about 10 years younger, even though it had been He just looks so relaxed years. as well. Yeah, and partly that is him playing the character that yeah. hasn't had his heart broken. But it's also, um, you know, there's, there's a lot more light in those scenes um it's uh, you know in those scenes in france and we only really start to see the shadows come in once it's announced oh the germans are on the way mm. uh and you know you have that beautiful shot of the um the cafe window the 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 shadow of the lettering on the window yeah. on the road um and and again there were sections I, I i noticed a little bit um where renault is talking to uh, rick and rick goes to the safe to get the casino mm. winnings and we see Renault talking uh, we see his physical body but we see the shadow the silhouette oh, Rick, yeah. of Rick going into the safe and yeah. uh, it's just really really well put together they did that again with the background dancer when mm. he went to visit the other cafe oh yeah, yeah. The, the blue parrot yeah the, blue parrot. It, yeah, the dancing girls and there was the one dancing yeah, the one girl right at the yeah. back yeah, yeah. yeah. It, was, yeah. it was just lovely the use of shadow the well placed shadow in this film is is breathtaking because that is very very difficult particularly mm. when you're using um when you're using such a dynamic space um what the one that i really liked or th- th- sort of related to the lighting but the fact the thing that i really liked was the softness that you got in this which i don't think we get anymore mm. um like just the fact that you're looking at ingrid bergman bergman's face and you're going she she just looks so soft it's and so glamorous. just the just the skin and beautiful it's like it's this gorgeous quality mm. that you get in in films of that era and it just adds so much to it it really does and um i, I think her character is actually a, a, quite an interesting one as well i mean mm. obviously um there aren't a huge amount of female characters in this film um there's there's a couple but yeah it, i mean obviously with with casablanca being this uh interesting uh political war-torn city there's mm. there's not really any independently acting female characters you know this is this is a world run by run by older men i think that that is something where if this film was done today i think that would be changed or i'd hope so yeah because I... there were women who were in rick's position mm. or who were in any of those in any of the male positions yeah um, with maybe the, the exception of Strauss and um, Renault. Yeah, but I mean, we, 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 I mean, um, no. uh, Signor Ferrari, the blue parrot owner, mm. could have been a woman. Rick's character could have been a woman. Um, yeah. It's, but I think it's. Um, in, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm saying this as, as, as the man watching it. Yeah. Um, I, whilst I felt that uh, Ilsa didn't have a lot of uh, autonomy in her position. Mm she went and enacted change quite a lot in the story yes she actually like when she goes and confronts ricks to try and get the letters of transit paper i actually you know i felt Mm. that she was very much um for the time a a character very much very much a character that was on more of a a level footing than other women in even in this film yeah um yeah i i I don't know How, how do you um how do you feel about it i I feel that, well, to to be, to, okay, to start off, I was going into this film thinking, I'm going to get really annoyed with the sexism. Mm. And I was pleasantly surprised mm. that I wasn't. Um, it, it is, as you pointed out, not entirely unproblematic. Mm. Um, but yes, I agree with you in, in that Elsa is, she's got a bit more guts than, than, 
you would expect. Mm. Um, yeah. I, well, she's not just an ornament. And I like mm. the amount of references, even though we don't see it, the references to her helping with the underground stuff that Victor's doing. Like, mm. she is not just supporting him emotionally. Like, she knows things. Yeah. And yeah. she's helping out with all the resistance fighting. Mm. I don't think they probably gave that much reference to it. I think she she's just like, I know things because I'm his wife. Of course mm. I know things. Um, whereas we, we know that there was women who were actively involved, um, mm. separate to their partners, who some, some sometimes even got their male relatives involved. Mm. They, mm. they started it out. Like um, the most famous example was Audrey Hepburn. Of course. Who yeah. performed ballet concerts to raise money for the Dutch resistance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I, but I just, I just felt it was th- this character had had an autonomy within the, yes. within the thing, and that was it was quite it was it was just really nice to see, and it it just made me think a bit more of of yeah. Michael Curtis and all the people who worked on this film um, that they did that, and you know there are a couple of uh, things which are you know it's not wonderful, like the fact that Captain Renault, it is strongly hinted, sleeps with women to give them letters of transit, that kind yes. of thing. But um, to be honest, I would read that more as an abuse of power than a sexism yeah. thing. Well, if again, going back to if if this was made today, I don't think that aspect would be changed because mm. it, that would be erasing history, um, which is possibly more problematic than, than trying to get rid of... Well, than trying to just sanitize yeah. um, something because there were men who did that and mm. there were women who decided to do that mm. um, the interesting thing in terms of gender politics within this film I think is the bit where Rick's ex-girlfriend mm. um, oh at the beginning of the film when she comes no, back when she comes back with the German yes, officer yes that's right and the reaction the very fast reaction that happens because, and and again, this coming back to the fact that this is made in 1942. At the end of the war, there were women who were who were raped, who were murdered, who had all the, who were ridiculed, who had all sorts of things, terrible things happen to them because they decided to use their bodies to help them during the war, um, and they they yeah accused of being oh, what's the term collaborators collaborators mm. yes sexual collaborators mm. um and th- it's interesting how this that is addressed mm. or at least how is it po- it's pointed out yeah no it it it, it certainly is mm. um obviously obviously this film uh starts to ramp up in its uh, intensity and its drama in in the last half an hour um yeah. and i it all sort of gets sparked off by the singing scene where where they're singing the german officers there in the bar and they're singing their german song and then victor lasler goes i'm not having any of this and starts the 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 band that's there uh, playing uh, la marseillaise and everyone in the mm. bar joins in um and that really really annoys strasser yeah <laughs> and he you know he goes to renault and he says you need to shut down this bar but i can't shut down this bar they haven't done anything wrong find a reason and then of course yeah. you know that wonderful line of renault going i've to Rick. just found out that there's gambling in the back room <laughs> yeah um which has been on display for the whole film uh which he's actively participated in <laughs> yeah yeah and then um it really kickstart this wonderful um quite quite pacey finale where um rick 
is essentially Rick and Ilsa meet in Rick's office and they reconnect. Uh, you know, they apologize uh, a bit. You know, they, they sort of reconnect and Ilsa says that she's going to stay with Rick now. Um, and so Rick organizes to get the letters of transit in such a way where he and Ilsa can leave and Victor Laszlo gets handed over to mm. Renault and the Nazis. Uh, and then just when it looks like that plan's going to go uh, according to plan, mm. Rick betrays Renault, which is such a great twist in the film because mm. they've had this wonderful friendship um, or at least a working relationship uh, and almost have this sort of trust in each other's um corruption i guess and then all of a sudden rick goes very noble and it completely yeah. froze well, renault it was also always hinted at that it was going to go that way because mm. obviously he can't go back to america yeah and it's not like that magically disappeared the reason he can't go back to america disappeared just so that you know he could go and be with the love of his life yeah in, in my head that never really cropped up i was just like oh yeah he'll just figure some way out of it or something mm. um in the sequel mm-hmm. maybe oh god can you imagine if there was a sequel <laughs> There, there was actually a there was a sequel. There, there, there was a planned sequel. Like, oh, okay. I'll, I'll, I take everything back. Yeah, I'll um I'll get to that in the okay. trivia troll. Oh god. Um, but yeah, so he he um he betrays Renault. Renault tries to mm. inform Strasser, essentially saying, uh, saying yes, there are going to be two tickets leaving on the plane, and then hangs up. So Strasser's like, what? I must get to the airport. Um, they they get to the airport. Um, Rick reveals to um ilsa that she's getting on the plane with victor mm. does the uh doesn't amount to much in a hill of beans speech um and you know it's it's it it, it is it is quite sad i mean obviously there, there is a real uh connection between these two characters mm. but i thought that paint your wagon got it right with the way that they dealt with that sort of relationship <laughs> what where the the woman ends up with both men damn straight mm. well unfortunately there were no singing clint eastwoods in this uh-huh, one that's to, what it was missing yeah um so yeah, so Victor and Ilsa get on the plane. Uh, Strasser turns up uh, and is about to, you know, obviously call in <laughs> the, the the backup, going, ah, Victor Laszlo's getting away, and he gets shot by Rick. Um, Rick Rick shot first, which I was quite surprised by. I mm. was quite surprised that it that 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 happened. Oh, although, in hindsight, I'm like, well, of course, the the Nazis. Yeah, we had to kill shot. the Nazi. Mm. A Nazi had to get shot in a in a film in a in war the, film like yeah, this. Yeah, in a yeah. war film like this. Uh, but I think the thing that's really great mm. is that Renault doesn't then turn in Rick. You know, all, all the the, yeah. the the soldiers turn up and he goes, Captain Strasser has been shot. Round up the usual suspects. Mm. Um, and so, you know, it's essentially going. It, it's almost as though that is Rick's reward for his redemption over the course of the film. Uh, yeah. it's, it's almost as though as Renault sees this and he's like, you know, we see even with him throwing like the, the Vichy water bottle in the bin and kicking the bin afterwards, it's like, I'm rejecting this idea of uh, the Nazis as well. Uh, and, you know, if you're brave enough to literally shoot one and potentially throw your entire life away, hmm. um, then I'm going to stop being a coward too. And it's hinted that they're going to go off and do some stuff to help fight the war resistance. And it's the start of a beautiful friendship. Is that the sequel? I, have, I will find out for you. Um, but, but, yeah. oh, I want to see this beautiful friendship. But what, what did you think of the ending of the film, Sarah? The way it all tied up? I mean, again, because I'd already seen it, I was sort of sitting there going, yeah, the twist is coming, the twist is coming. Mm. Uh, even though I couldn't remember the exact twists and turns, I remembered who flew off with who. Mm. Um, but, you know, I, I'd forgotten um, that the two of them do then walk off into the mist romantically, mm. going, yeah, let's go join the revolution. Okay, bro. You know, it's very... Okay, bro. 
That's <laughs> right. I'm not writing the script for the sequel. Mm. Uh, uh, how did it read for you as the first time viewer, Katrina? Um, well, I already knew how it ended mm. um, because, as as we've stated before, it's such a classic and it is such a cultural zeitgeist. Like there was there was a moment where it, where a line said, "I was like, oh, that's where that's from." Mm. Um, so I yeah I knew the that. Elsa and her husband left together uh, and that he stayed and, and, you know, sacrificed himself essentially. Mm. Um, I, I, I feel like because it was a war film, it couldn't have ended any other way Mm. because going, going back to America, imagining itself as Rick and, or Rick being a very strong allegory for America, whichever way you put it, um, if he had gone with Elsa, if he had left with her, it wouldn't have been as strong as a piece of propaganda. Mm. Um, it would have been like, yeah, it'll be all right. We can we can just run away. We can just leave leave the Europeans to sort it out themselves. Um, whereas with him staying, he's like, no, we need to get in the thick of it. Mm. We all need to make a sacrifice. Yeah, and it, it's it's very much just. Um Mm-hmm. It, yeah, it very much is just just this this whole message. It ties back to this thing of like there is now a war effort, and yeah. you all should be involved, citizenry. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's. I, I think ultimately though, it's a really good film. It is. It's, it is. It, it's a really really great film, um, which was just just enjoyable. Although mm-hmm. we did touch upon again while we we're watching the issues <laughs> of racism. Uh, sort of pervading the film as well. Yeah, with Which, a with a mostly yeah. white cast in a, in a in yeah. a reasonably multicultural setting that is uh, Casablanca, yeah. which obviously is in uh, North Africa. For those of you who aren't great with geography, um, yeah, it wasn't necessarily all that diverse. When really the only person of color in the film is the guy playing the piano, Sam. Sam. Yeah. It also made me Sam. All of Sam's bits also made me think of how. There were a lot of films of that time that um, were were created pretty much around black jazz singers mm. and black dancers and things like that. And how, and for example, the the father of uh, swing dancing, whose name I cannot remember, Frank someone, um, he he got into a whole bunch of films as as a ma- as a servant just so they could have a dance routine. And so I I really enjoyed like who played Sam? What was the gen- uh the character of Sam was played by Dooley Wilson. So uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mhm. Is he I, I don't know the name. Yeah, Is he like a famous yeah. jazz player or um, something? He was he was big in the musical scene at the time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so that's how a lot of those people got their work and unfortunately it was just in characters that were very submissive. He's a lovely character and I really like the relationship that was developed between Sam and Elsa. Look, yeah, mm. and how they all looked after one another. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was it was it was a, it was touching. It was nice. Mm. Um but yeah, it would have been I'll, nicer I, if there was more diversity. Mm. Yeah. But although but to be fair, yeah. And it's the 1940s. We mm. can, like, yes, I think we should definitely mm. discuss this and talk about this and go, that's crap. 
let's not do that again. Yeah, we can do better. But like, yeah. that was the time mm. yeah. it was made. At the time, this was actually quite a diverse film, though, because there's only three Americans in the cast. Mm. Most of the cast are uh, European um, immigrants. And in particular, a lot of people who had just fled Europe yeah. from, from from the Nazis. Mm. Um, that's why in, in that um, La Marseillaise scene, um, where they're singing over the German song, uh, which was called Watch on the Rhine, many of the extras had real tears in their eyes because they were refugees and yeah. they were just really overcome with the scene. That's why there's so much like, um, uh, you know, like chest thumping and, and, and just mm. boisterousness because th- they were obviously traumatized by what was actually happening at the time. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I think that's, whilst it maybe isn't, um, it wouldn't necessarily meet the standards of something we would consider a multicultural film today. Yeah. Um, I think at the time it actually did stand out as being, they've, they've got actual French people in this film. What? <laughs> <laughs> so, well, yeah. not, not so much French, but mm. definitely like if there's Eastern Europeans, because oh, yeah. Eastern Europeans of this time, um, I'm going to make a confession to you, Stephen. Not, yes. not, not that I'm a racist or anything. But, okay. That would, um, be, that would be really troubling. That, that, that would, would be awkward. No, um, I, I listen to other podcasts. <gasps> there is, can, can, I, can I mention the name? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Go for it. Um, there is an excellent podcast which deals with the history of cinema called uh, You Must Remember This. Mm-hmm. And um, quite in, in a lot of the episodes when they talk about particular actors, um, the... Karina Longworth, who I believe that's her name, lady who runs it, mm. she points out that Eastern Europeans were the people that were picked for the ethnic roles. Mm. Oh, you're, for example, the, she's doing a, a segment on Bella Lugosi, and she's like, Bella Lugosi played a Chinese person several times and played a Spaniard and a Mexican, mm. and because they, that's, that was their, um, they they were the acceptable ethnics within mm. Hollywood. Yeah, and you couldn't have an Anglo-Saxon play in that role, so you might as well go for someone who was slightly not Anglo-Saxon. Oh no, still they still tried that. I mean, yeah, who was it? John John Wayne played mm. um, Genghis Khan. Yeah, did he? In a in a I've in a never film. come across that. <laughs> you don't want to. Awful. He's <laughs> there's I, 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 he has I, like this catfish moustache, yeah. and he's like your daughters will not be safe in their beds. Okay, that's... I might have to look this up afterwards. It's like the one that always jumps to mind for me is Mickey Rooney in Breakfast Mm. at Tiffany's as the Japanese landlord. Um, That highly offensive. Yes. I've only watched that film once and I can't watch it again. It's mostly because of stuff like that. Yeah. It just... Every time it came on screen, I was like, what is happening? I feel mm. so uncomfortable right yeah. now. <laughs> uh, so I just did a quick b- a bit of uh, looking around online about Casablanca sequels. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there is a script that exists for a Casablanca 2, uh, currently in possession. Casablanca 2 Blanca? Yeah. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> um, Cass Warner, who is a film producer and the granddaughter of one of the original Warner Brothers, has the rights to the script. And okay as recently as five years ago, was looking for financial backing to help fund Casablanca 2, 2 Casa 2 Blanca. Um, <laughs> should we email her and say, hey, got a great title for your film? <laughs> Maybe we should. Um, Warner has this script, uh, which was based on a screenplay called Return to Casablanca, written by Howard Cock, who's one of the people that was involved mm. in putting this film Casablanca together. Casablanca strikes back. Um, he, he was one of the film's original co-writers. It follows Richard Blaine, Rick and Ilsa's illegitimate son, 
who returns to the Moroccan port in the 1960s in an attempt to find his father. No, no, I want to see that. I want to see them like freedom fighting. Like I was, on. I was kind of expecting at one point for Elsa to go, "I'm pregnant. Um, that's why you need to help me." Mm. Um, and like, whose child? Do you know what this sounds like? This sounds like the sequel mm. to the Phantom of the Opera. Oh, Love Never Dies. That sounds like Love Never Dies. That's the plot of Love Never Dies. Or it sounds like the fourth Indiana Jones film. Mm. Oh, Indiana Jones, you've got a kid, by the way. So we could have had Shia LaBeouf turning up looking for um, <laughs> looking singing. for Humphrey Bogart. He, he would do that. Yeah. That would like... Yeah. I bet if someone pitched that to him, he'd be like, yeah. Yeah, what if they just dug up Humphrey Bogart and got him acting again? And Not quite. It was, but... He was there going, Dad, it's me. Ugh, of all the illegitimate children with all the uh, mothers I slept with, you had to... You had to be one of mine. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so he's like looking at you, kid. So yeah, two two Casa Two Blanca. Um, uh, remains to be seen if that will ever be made. Speaking of people that wanted to remake it in the early two thousands, um, Madonna wanted to remake Casablanca as a musical. Uh, no. Oh, good. Um, obviously, with her playing Ilsa Lund, can you guess who she wanted to play Rick Blaine? This is a fun game. Ooh. Early 2000s. Ooh, early. Justin Timberlake? No, but similarly inappropriate. Oh, okay. Okay. No, I think actually Justin Timberlake could pull it off, potentially. Mm. Oh, actually, no, no. He'd be more a... He'd be more Renault. This is whoever is replacing um, Humphrey Bogart, just pointing this yeah, out there. I, I can't think of any replacement for him. Okay. Her, her choice for the replacement of Rick Blaine was Ashton Kutcher. Oh... No. Would not have worked. Oh, my facial expressions say it all. Now Ashton can act. He, can. he clearly is actually quite a talented performer. He's not Rick Blaine. Um, no. Madonna pitched this idea to every studio, but unsurprisingly, was unanimously rejected. With one studio executive telling her the film is untouchable, and so the project <laughs> has been scrapped, um, and she's no longer interested in pursuing it. It, frankly, I, it shouldn't be remade. No. It should like do a sequel. That'd be cool, mm. but don't remake it. I just no. I don't think anyone could reach what Humphrey Bogart got. Yeah, mm. um, and what Ingrid Bergman got. Yeah, like Ingrid Bergman would probably be easier to recast. Mm. I think than Humphrey Bogart. Yeah, true. I just 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 watch this film. It's already yeah. there. Yeah. You don't need to make another one. We it's... have this obsession with remaking classics. Like, mm. let's leave the classics and, like, remake the shit films. Oh, mm. some of them can be remade very, very well. Mm. Um, but I don't think this is one of them. So, some IMDb trivia for you all. Ooh, yay! The iconic La Marseillaise sequence was intended to have an even more... Uh, been even more pointed against the Nazis. Mm. The original song that Strasser and the other Germans uh, were to sing wasn't what they were singing, which was uh, Die Racht am Rhein, a patriotic song written in 1840 and exclusively used in the Franco-German War in World War I. Uh, they were originally intending to sing Das Horst Wessel Lied, which was the Nazi party anthem and unofficial second national anthem for Nazi Germany. Warner Brothers changed it when they realised that the that particular song is under copyright. Wouldn't have been a problem when distributed in the Allied territories. However, mm. the film was being released in neutral countries as well and would have caused major diplomatic oh. headaches and even opened up Warner Brothers to the possibility of being sued by the Nazis for copyright <laughs> infringement. <laughs> oh my God. Imagine being sued by the Nazis. And also, had they done it, they may have had to pay them royalties. Oh my God. 
God. which no one wants to do. Mm. Yeah. Oh my God, that's the best. So yeah, that is my favorite fact. I have. It, it, we've been doing this podcast for several months now. Yeah. That is my favorite thing I have read so far. That's that was amazing. Yeah. Just the idea of it's like, dear sir, this is a cease and desist letter from the desk of Herman Goering. <laughs> so. Uh, I, I have a feeling though, and th- this could just be me making bad connections in my history part of my brain, mm-hmm. um, but I have a feeling that there were a couple of incidences, not exactly like that, but where the Nazis went, oh, well, we don't like this person because they've made a film about us or they've done a song about us or blah, 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 um, but I can't think of an example. Mm. Um, like I have a feeling that they that they actually were like, well, Charlie Chaplin's no longer a friend of us because of the mm. Great Dictator. Yeah, but Charlie um, Chaplin was doing all sorts of other stuff yeah. against Nazi Party yeah. as well. I mean, he was very mm. active. Yeah, but there so. there was other examples. Um, oh, a good example is oh, what's her name? German German actress. Uh, D- Dietrich. M- Melina Dietrich. Yes, yes. yes. They, there was actually a bit of a mission to like kill her by the German by the Nazi party okay. because she was so powerful of a propaganda tool for the allies. Mm. Cool. All right. Well, I'm glad they didn't get to her. Uh, <laughs> good on her. Yeah. yeah. Um we need someone like that now. Mm. Because the film was made during World War 2, the production was not allowed to film at an airport after dark for security reasons, mm. which given obviously the ending of this film is at an airport after dark is problematic. Mm. So they used a soundstage with a small cardboard cutout aeroplane and forced perspective. To give the illusion that the plane was full size, they used, um, and the, the, the reference here is little people, they used uh, dwarf actors oh, wow. uh, to portray the crew, uh, preparing the plane for takeoff, which was a technique which has been used in lots of films, uh, like in Alien. Um, Ridley Scott used his son and some of his friends and scaled down spacesuits to give a, a sense of, like, Forced perspective. That is awesome. Mm. Um, some years ago, in a shop dealing with historical documents, a photo still from the film was found with Rick sitting at a chessboard. Accompanying the photo was a letter from Humphrey Bogart to a friend in New York indicating a specific chess move. The document dealer explained that the chess game in the movie was a real game Bogart was playing by mail with his friend at the time. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So, th- so yeah. When he, any time he's interacting with the chessboard, he is actually playing chess against a friend. Oh, that's that so is great. great. Yeah. That is great. I it's... mean, I hate chess, but that is great. Mm. The letters of transit that motivate many of the characters in the film did not actually exist in Vichy-controlled France. Mm-hmm. They were a plot device written by the screenwriters. Um, one of the playwrights, Joan Allison, um, always expected somebody to challenge her about the letters, but nobody ever did. It's just such a good plot device. It is. Like, and it you is. don't want to challenge it. Yeah. It is. Um, I feel like there probably was an equivalent, though. Yeah. But specifically, yeah, if you're watching someone with a keen eye for historical accuracy, mm. uh, they, they may point that out. And you can go, yes, well, it worked. So Yes, well, shut up. Yeah. Humphrey Bogart had to wear platform shoes uh, in scenes alongside Ingrid Bergman to compensate for the height disparity. because. Yeah, Humphrey Bogart I was only felt five it was foot weird eight. Weird the way they kissed, and hmm. she—it just felt weird the way she went up. It just looked strange. That could be why. Yeah, I mean Humphrey Bogart was five foot eight, but obviously um, coming up against uh, Ingrid Bergman, who was uh, a fair bit taller, and obviously was sometimes in these uh, fabulous high heeled shoes and things like that. Mm. Um, yeah, that they, they had to compensate for that in certain scenes. So. Um, because the yeah. woman must be shorter than the man. Uh, Conrad Veet 
who uh, played Major Strasser, was well known in the theatrical community in Germany for his hatred of the Nazis and his friendship with Jews, including his Jewish wife. Uh, and of course, uh, was forced to hurriedly escape the country when uh, the SS had sent a death squad after him because of his activities. Oh uh, Veet had it in his contract that he would only play villains because he was convinced that by playing suave Nazi baddies, he would help the war effort. So, yeah. that's kind of cool. Mm. That's like there's an there's a Mexican actor who he'll only play villains if they die mm. because mm. he wants to teach people that if you're bad, you will you will get what's coming to you. Obviously, uh, something that lots of people know, Rick never says play it again, Sam. Mm. Uh, he says, you played it for her, you can play it for me. If she can take it, I can take it, so play it. Uh, Ilsa says, play it, Sam, play as time goes by. Uh, the incorrect line has obviously been spoofed in, in lots of things since yeah. then, but yeah, they never actually say play it again, Sam, yeah. um, which is a shame because I would say that you should play this movie again and watch it again because yeah. it's a fabulous movie. Mm. I really like the song too. He also couldn't play the piano. Oh, um, really? Yeah, Dooley Wilson was a drummer. He faked playing the piano. Um, the music was being recorded at the same time, and the piano playing was actually um, a recording of a performance by uh, Gene Pummer, uh, who was playing behind a curtain, but positioned in such a way that Dooley could watch and copy his hand movements. Oh, that's pretty cool. I also yeah. noticed that there weren't that many shots of him, of Sam singing. Because I'm like, oh yeah, that just would have gummed up the works in terms of editing and trying to match things and everything. So mm. yeah, it's pretty so. much during the whole time where, with the exception of the very beginning, the whole time while Sam's singing as time goes by, mm. the camera is on Ingrid Bergman. Yeah, showing her contemplatively and her reflecting and her mm. lovely soft face and her mm. eyes. She's mm. just beautiful. She yeah. is. She's gorgeous. So. Let's score the film. Uh, so remembering we do scores out of 10. We do this for fun. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily reflect art because you can't score it. But we're going to do it anyway. Yeah. Uh, Katrina, yeah. you were watching this for the first time. What would you give Casablanca I'm out of 10? I'm going to give this... One sec, what am I going to give this out of? <laughs> um, I'm going to give this 9 out of 10 low-tipped fedoras. <laughs> mm. Yeah, there was a lot of low-tipped hats. Good hats as well. Yeah, because, yes, it is dated. Yes, there are things I would love to change, but it was also such a well-rounded film. It, it yeah, it's just beautiful. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't think I can say anything more than that. No, fair enough. It's, mm. it's a gorgeous film. Uh, Sarah, what would you give this film out of 10? Out of 10 transit papers. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give it nine transit papers as well. Mm -hmm. Again, because... It's not a perfect film, but it's a beautiful film. And the romantic in me is just like, yes, please go forth and help the world. And yeah. the propaganda got to me, okay? Mm. I just want to say, though, I think this is for our times when things are getting crazy again. Where, you know, with the emergence of the alt-right and racism, sexism and all the other isms. Mm -hmm. This is an important film because I think it shows that everyone has their part to play. For me... I really enjoyed this film and I'm slightly uh, annoyed at myself. I haven't watched this in about 10 years. Mm. I, I feel like this should be on more regular rotation for me. Um, it's it's wonderful. It's funny. I really appreciate a good script and this is a fantastic script. So I, I, I'm going to have to agree with you guys. I am going to give it nine usual suspects <laughs> out of 10. Oh, so, yes, yes. Uh, that is all though for this week. So, um, 
Uh, Katrina and Sarah, thank you very much for watching and reviewing Casablanca. Thanks for having me, Stephen. Play it, Sam. And uh, for those of you listening at home, thank you very much for listening in. If you want to listen to more of these, uh, then they are available on the internet. It's this great thing where you can send emails. It's wonderful. <gasps> um, yes, uh, it's available on iTunes and on SoundCloud. Uh, you can download them there, share them with your friends, tell them to listen, get them to share it with two friends, you know, all that business. Uh, we're also available on Facebook. Just search for us there. Uh, where you can leave comments and suggestions. Um, you can also join our Patreon. Just go to patreon.com forward slash ccuc podcast you can become an official cinema catch-up club member and uh, there's all sorts of fun uh, rewards there for those who are interested and for more information we can also be reached at thoughtjarproductions.com but that's all so until next time here's looking at you kid You have been listening to a Thought Jar Productions podcast. For more information, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com.